It's really about how we think about things together. And as I mentioned to Nick, I think there's not enough collaboration going on between, you know, K to 12 and higher ed. And there's so much that we can learn from each other. So that's kind of in that spirit. I'm really looking forward to it. All right. Awesome. That sounds great. And in that spirit, you can collaborate with us at any time. Anytime. Wonderful. Absolutely. Speaking of celebration of, of, uh, of this, uh, I believe this is going to be the final podcast of our first season. Wow. You gotta have an eye. Third Eye Education. Third Eye. Welcome to Third Eye. This is our final episode of season one, and we couldn't be more pleased with our guest, Dr. Anna Tavis. She's a force for learning, establishing New York University's Human Capital Analytics and Technology Program, working as Chief Learning Officer with United Technologies Corps, Global Head of Talent with both Nokia and AIG, and Head of Motorola's EMEAOD function, all while frequently publishing in magazines, writing new books, and teaching courses. You talk about making a skill-based program, which in, in K-12 we might call essential learning outcomes or prioritized learnings or power standards. There's all sorts of names that we might use. Uh, you talk about teaching ethics, and then you also are talking about the pressures being put on educators right now. And in just thinking to myself, how can we teach ethics in pre-K through 12? I think implicitly we do. I mean, clearly in elementary school, uh, you push your friend. That's not ethical. Let's talk about this. But even being open about that, we'd get weird pushback right now. It's a weird world. We have kids going out and learning ethics from algorithms online instead. Uh, so we're losing this place to learn how to behave as a human from our, our society. Do you have any recommendations to, to pre-K through 12 educators on how to teach ethics in a way that doesn't lose our, our support? That's a good entry, by the way. We are hosting our first diversity council meeting to talk about how do we treat each other and how do we honor individuality so that we can be respectful because we're in an age where things aren't very respectful these days. And sometimes it's just unknown. They're not thinking about it as youth. They don't think about it consciously, I think. And we need to bring it into their conscious consciousness now. And it's going to be a trigger for some other outside groups that are not going to like us talking about anything that is equitable. You know, that means that for some, it means, we're taken away from something. I lose something if I have to be equitable and share. Yeah, it's really, it's 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 a dilemma. I I want to reveal some of my kind of pedagogical roots and what I've um, studied in, in psychology, etc. You know, as I'm I'm Russian myself, so I've been looking at a, a different developmental psychology tradition than the, than the Western tradition, right? And it's actually quite influential in the at least in the academic circles here. And I don't know if you've heard of Lev Vygotsky, Russian psychologist. Nick is nodding his head. So I'm, I'm very influenced by, by what his way of looking at child development. And I think what you're going to see, and Mike, you mentioned individualism. I think that, you, you know, we have to understand that what we're trying to do is make a shift from a very deeply rooted individualist society. We look in my intercultural class, I look at the spectrum of different societies and 
and the US is definitely all the way on the individualist side, right? And we're experiencing it now. And then you'll have kind of more collectivist society. And the truth is probably somewhere in the middle or it's contextual, right? So, so I've always focused on the importance of facilitating the group interactions and kind of learning from experience. One of the important concepts that um, Lev Vygotsky introduced was the zone of proximal development. So what he was saying was that we tend to measure performance and student performance in our cases by individual performance, right? You take a test, how you read, how you perform, et cetera, et cetera. And what he was saying is that is not an accurate representation of the learning capacity, learning agility of a child or his or her ability to perform. There are a lot of skills that can get him there that are in that zone of proximal development of how he can get help from others, right? He or she. So how a child can get help from others and seek that help from others and then perform. So kind of putting it in the context of that collaborative space. And that's where different tools that are just emerging to measure that collaborative component of learning, of teaching, of performance, of happiness, of everything. We tend to kind of isolate out an individual and say, including a child and say, here is his or her level of performance based on taking of that particular test and isolating out everything that happens in the collective environment where that child can get help, can get mentored, can get assistance from a peer, et cetera, et cetera. And so, so I think that's, I mean, it's a long way of, you know, maybe a little bit philosophical way of, of kind of getting out of this trap we find ourselves in of being so fiercely individualistic, especially in children, you know, because they're so contextual, they're so dependent on who they're with, who they can get help with, how they develop. Um, And so I think, you know, we need to develop a system by which we can measure that kind of collaborative component of ter- of learning and teaching. So back to diversity and inclusion, I think there are kind of, there are, again, there are two extremes, recognizing individuality, et cetera, et cetera, and leading into isolation and separation and only emphasizing the differences. I think that that is going to be not particularly helpful, but By recognizing uniqueness, you at the same time emphasize inclusion and belonging. In the workplace, we now talk about belonging. What community do I belong to? What are the markers of that particular community that I carry, regardless of my individual specific unique characteristics? And I think because we so underinvest in that understanding of the collaborative component and the context in the community and so overemphasize the uniqueness that we, we create that imbalance that backfires on us. I, I don't know. This is my own kind of view of um, why we are where we are, maybe a little bit more cross-cultural and philosophical. And we see it in different ethnic communities, right? That it shows up differently. But I think... I think as, a, as an educator group, 
we need to be thinking about how do we how do we invest in that collaborative culture what would it take for us for our students to feel included to belong and uh, with all of their uniqueness but more folk I mean, in my classes that's where i pay most attention how do i socialize the group how do they develop that cohesion we play on teams we play on different different simulations different games different combination of pairs um, but that's where i spend most of my time in designing my own classes it, it was really interesting hearing you you say that Anna, because that's something that we've been really working hard you know in dover yoda and in schools across the nation is to to remove some of that that siloing that happens sometimes with the individuals within the actual classroom themselves and obviously sometimes within different content areas so right now actually right before we had this conversation a teacher uh here in the building a science teacher popped in and is trying something new uh with kind of like these interactive notebook type things where our kids can can take notes however they want but also they're leaving a section where peers can take notes on their notes and then where they can go back in and reflect on their learning based on their peer feedback right and he was kind of like i don't know if it's gonna work but you said it's gonna work so i'll try it and he tried it he comes in he's so excited he's like showing me examples of of look at what this kid said and look at what this kid said and and they are getting to that point of like talking to someone else about their learning made me understand that i actually do understand this better than i thought i did or taking a look at how this person takes notes and uses visuals helped me realize what i'm missing right and and what i can do differently in the next lesson i'm going to actually try to do more diagramming and things like that and and this is them reflecting people took notes they took notes on their notes then they're getting people who are taking notes on their notes notes and then they're reflecting on their notes 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 i mean it's but all this learning that's happening simply because these kids are giving each other feedback and, and in turn of course then the the staff member doesn't need to go in and give quite as much if any feedback which you know we're burning our staff our teachers out across the nation so why not let the kids do some of the heavy lifting in that collaboration space but also this summer we we started doing this project-based learning summer school where we would identify what are the essential learning outcomes like nick was talking about earlier what are the essential learning outcomes that that student didn't quite complete in their junior class or senior class or whatever put them all on the paper whether they be from one course or from three courses and then what can that student create or or study or or whatnot what could that student do to illustrate that they have mastered all of these whether they're in the same content area or not right and then to collectively work with the the teachers as like their experts so they're coming to you and saying like okay i've decided i want to create a collage and this is how i see that meeting these criteria and in doing that i'm also going to create a video about it and creating the video i'm going to do a transcript so that hits this english thing and this social studies thing plus i'm focusing on this science topic and suddenly they're you know, cross curricular, right? Students who were creating similar projects, I was supporting on the English side of things. So if they were working on something like a, a written piece, I would sit down with them and say, okay, but you know, is this a credible source? Oh, here's what credibility means. You know, um, let, let's talk about, uh, have you heard of Purdue OWL? It's this great resource, right? And I would say that with one kid, maybe another kid, and pretty soon I didn't have to say anything because the kids are saying to each other, oh, 
Uh, you're not going to want to show that to her because she's going to tell you about Purdue Owl. Let me just show you that first, right? So now they're learning it enough to teach each other. One, it lifts off some of the workload from the teacher, which I'm always a fan of. But more importantly, it's removing that rigidity of I am a single individual. And it's instead creating these opportunities where kids can teach each other at the same time as also allowing them to work across different content areas. And I think that's kind of what you were you were getting at a little bit. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I love what you said. And, you know, one element there to think about is how much of the teacher actually can get in the way, because it's it's a, it's a question of trust. You know, do I trust this group of small kids to actually figure it out on their on their own or do I interject because I know the right way? You know, and what we know as educators, the learning actually happens after a whole series of mistakes, you know, like that's the best when you can come in and they come to you and they ask. And if they initiate that learning, that's so much more powerful. That's what learning happens. But I think I think as we are expecting students to behave that way, we also need to be thinking about what is the role of the teacher in that type of dynamic, right? and how much of what we've learned of pedagogy will get in the way because we have you know, structured outcomes, we have to have them te take tests on certain things and not allowed to cross over into another area because that's not on the, on the syllabus today, right? I have spent over nine hours, nine hours this week in uh, sessions learning how to make people take rigid tests. It's a great use of time. Yeah, I know. I know. I mean, and that's why, you know, we're talking, I, we don't, we don't require tests at, at NYU to get in. And I want to see a lot of those tests go away and, and find, it doesn't mean that we're not going to measure. I am a bit, I'm very big for measurement, but there are other ways. And, and now that's where the tools come in. How, how about using some ambient data and using some other milestones that will be a lot more reflective of what actually students are capable of doing. Yeah, let's shout that from the mountaintops. Right, right. And, you know, and I think that we, we, we absolutely, that's why we do what we're doing. Here, we're doing it at higher ed. We have a school, Steinhardt, that looks at um, education and the innovation in the education space. Uh, we are more industry oriented, but I think, again, there's so much to learn uh, from the industry, because there, you know, the, the good thing about industry is that we can actually get the feedback from the market, from the system right away. And, and there's a lot more agility and flexibility in the, in the business to change because, uh, because of the different levels of the different outcomes that we're looking for. But, but we can certainly learn a lot from each other. And I think that's a, recurring motif in our podcasts. Uh, in fact, the first one ever was with Myron Dweck, who argued to get outside of our silos, which uh, I certainly think we can all do a bit more, whether that be just talking to the teacher in the classroom next to us or getting laser beak on a podcast. Opportunities everywhere. Yeah. Before we shift into our rapid fire questions, I, I do want to call out uh, that you mentioned uh, network analysis. I don't know if we're quite able to afford it yet in K-12 education, but as soon as we can afford it, I recommend it to any listener because it allows you to uh, better understand the functionings 
of relationships within your environment, whether that be students, uh, uh, parents, teachers. Um, and uh, I don't know, I think $25,000 was like the cheapest I'd, I'd found. Not affordable right now, but down the road, keep an eye. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, first of all, you know, everyone is invited to um, our book launch, right? Book, uh, Nick, on December 4th, I think we have um, uh, Rob Cross, who is one of the leading um, innovators in that space. He's a professor at Babson College in uh, Boston. His book is in collaborative overload, and it's really around, you know, again, measuring collaboration, understanding collaboration, et cetera. Secondly, um, I think we don't really it's we don't have to be tool dependent. I think in that space, uh, I think understanding what it is after and how we are able to reveal, just like bringing an X-ray on the importance of collaboration relationships in uh, organizations, in the workplace, and in education. It's like bringing a, a totally different technology that helps us see what's, what was invisible before, right? And measure it. So that's, that's one thing. I, just reading about it and understanding what's being measured is important. So that's step one. And step two, I have to assure you, I was in the very beginnings of this whole technology innovation, and we literally had to go to MIT. There were PhD MIT scientists cranking out all of the analysis of this. And we are now to a pretty um, user-friendly stuff that is um, a lot more affordable than it was before. And I would argue that there are groups, I, for example, if I teach it again, that class on ONA, um, I've just negotiated a free access to those technologies from some of the companies. But again, you can do this ONA analysis even without tools, right? Without without specific tools. So, yeah, that's the that's the thing. And I think what's really important, what's going to drive a lot of innovation, Heather, is going to be those technologies that are going to show up and they're going to uh, reveal to us a very different you know, outcomes and very different assets and values that were invisible before, that we were talking about empathy. You know, we are now with neuroscience and some other tools, very expensive at this point, but nonetheless, we're able to measure it. We're able to measure um, emotions uh, one way or the other. So, or proxies for emotions and infer things that we thought were totally subjective and subjective and didn't even pay attention to. So uh, I think the hope is there and we just need to be ready and learning as just as you do. Absolutely. So if it's okay with you, we'll pivot into some rapid fire questions. We have three that we ask at the end of every podcast. Uh, would that be all right? Yep. Perfect. What podcast, book, show, or whatnot has been influencing your thinking lately? Lately. You know, I am a big fan of Freakonomics Radio. I think what I like about it, it's, it really, with the uses of data and, you know, different ways of thinking uh, about problems, it, it's very liberating to be think, to know that you can actually turn things around and not to accept issues as you think they are, they're unsolvable. And so I, I love the podcasts that challenge me that way. Thank you. I'll ask the next question. We really value innovation. 
What is one innovation that you've seen recently or would really like to see happen? You know, what, what, what's really important to me right now is how do we stress test technologies? You know, because I am personally really involved in thinking about the potential kind of dis dis disruption that we are seeing beginning to emerge. So I'm kind of on that. How do we play enough scenarios to understand the pros and cons of different technologies and, and literally put stop on some of those that might be destructive, um, if not disruptive. So, yeah, so that's what I'm thinking about right now. Before I ask you the, the third and final question, Anna, I'll just uh, intersect that uh, my husband is an economics teacher and um, I am a podcast fan and both of us really love uh, Freakonomics. So love that. Great. Um, our last question for this session is listeners inspired by today's conversation might want to take action on their learning. What might that first action be? The first action would be talk to Nick. Um, give him a call yeah. or talk to any one of you. I mean, I always think that the most impactful first step in change is to find somebody who is on the same path. Find a peer, find a mentor, find somebody in your, your community who you can partner with, again, to socialize your, your search, to share your problems or issues your questions and then to give uh, to to take feedback and learn so when there's when you are on your own it's a very lonely journey if you find other people who are doing the same thing it's a lot more fun if you'd like to follow that advice our twitter handle is at third eye ed uh, and mine i have one person following me is at nick truxel i i just created it on the advice of sergio I think I think I'm the one who follows you. You are correct. <laughs> I am at teacher like with L Y K E, um, and and just as an FYI, uh, you know, I I know I laughed when when Anna said to ask Nick, but he, Nick, you are one of the best cheerleaders for innovation that I've ever had to had the chance to work with. You know, and I've been doing this a long time, so. I, I want to make sure that no one edits out that you said had to work with first and then had to correct. <laughs> I also want to make sure, Mike, uh, I think you're at Mike Carolyn one Is that accurate? All right. Uh, and Anna, what would be the best way for people to, to uh, uh, follow you? I think um, LinkedIn, obviously, that's the place, as you know, I post my blog, weekly blog. I also post a lot of updates on what's going on at NYU. And um, I also have a Twitter account, but um, LinkedIn is really the best place to be. I highly recommend that blog. It is fabulous. Thank you. And, and thank you so much for joining us today. This has thank been you. such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Anytime. I think we need to have more of these conversations happening. Thank really you. Great. Thank you once again to Anna Tavis for joining us today. Thank you to Dover Iota for supporting our first season of Third Eye. Thank you to our hosts, Nick Truxel, Michael Carolyn, and Heather Light. Thank you to Michael Terrell for writing our theme music. We look forward to having you all back for our second season of Third Eye, starting in January. If you have any suggestions for guests, topics, 
articles, feel free to reach out. We look forward to hearing from you on Third Eye.